0: Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Sutras here, really excited about today's show. It's been a great May already. Kari Andrews, if you haven't heard the last episode, I strongly urge you to download that show as well wonderful conversation, really good insight on uh, what a creator might fear as they're making their creations. Well, today we get the publisher's perspective. Ted Adams from IDW joins us for an amazing conversation. Uh, It's the 17th anniversary of IDW. Did you know that this year? Uh, Ted talks about the history of the company, and we talk a lot about some of the amazing, distinct projects that IDW is behind today. Of course, My Little Pony, G.I. Joe, Transform a lot of the licensed properties are part of the conversation, but also things like the Artist Edition. And uh, and again, I say it in the interview, but I really want to uh, give credit to the person who came up with the uh, term shelf porn, and that is uh, Jason Wood of Eleven O'clock Comics podcast. Um, and I, I think it's a very apt description of some of the more uh, really interesting uh, publishing projects that IDW has done. First. Like the artist editions, the amazing coffee table books that they've done on the Library of American Comics uh, through Dean Mulvaney, and uh, great subjects like comic strips and comic book history. We talk a lot about that interest of TED's and the companies. Uh, certainly, Winona Earp figures in the conversation. It's IDW's uh, first foray into television and uh, we talk about the past success of 30 Days of Night and just how TV and film kind of fit into the uh, equation of the IDW publishing company. So uh, really, it's a tremendous conversation, and I, I can't uh, thank Ted enough for, for a really fun talk. I look forward to future talks with him as well. Today's Word Balloon is brought to you by InStockTrades at InStockTrades.com. I have a feeling after hearing about some of the subjects that we're talking about today that a lot of Word Balloon listeners are going to go right to InStockTrades.com and uh, see what uh, kind of prices they're going to find on some of these amazing products. And you know what? They're going to be surprised because I uh, InStockTrades always does their best to uh, give us the best price with the uh, best creators and the best products out there. Let's run through some of those today. You can get Joe Kubert's Tour Artist Edition, 30% off, just $86.45. We'll see how long that lasts and how long that stock lasts. There's the G.I. Joe Omnibus, Trade Paperback Volume 1, featuring writers like Chuck Dixon and Brian Reed, and artists like uh, Joe Suter and Robert Atkins, 30% off, $17.49. How about from Image Comics, Descender, Trade Paperback Volume 2, Dustin Nguyen and uh, Jeff Lemire, continuing their excellent uh, sci-fi story it is 45% off just $8.24. Reach back for Green Arrow from Mike Grell and I always forgot that uh, once the uh, ongoing was uh, chugging along it was Dan Jurgens who was providing the art. This is from that classic run of the 80s, volume 5 Black or uh, Black Arrow and it's a tremendous story about Green Arrow in Alaska. Uh, investigating an oil spill, and, of course, dirty dealings happening there. Dick Dick Giordano uh, is uh, doing uh, the inking uh, on uh, the cover, at the very least. But uh, what a great collection. Uh, Nine issues of Green Arrow, 45% off, $10.99. There's also things like Fuse from Image Comics, Anthony Johnson, Justin Greenwood. They continue their story. It's Volume 3. Forty-five uh, percent off, eight dollars and twenty-four cents. You can get "We Stand on Guard," the excellent book from uh, Steve Scrooge and uh, Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, One hundred years in the future, it's the U.S. versus Canada. Did it? Could you imagine it ever happening? Well, they do a great job of presenting it. It's forty-five uh, percent off, thirteen dollars and seventy-four cents. All coming from InStockTrades.com. There are more deals. I'll tell you more about those on the other side of the interview. But uh, check them out for yourself great at savings. If you order $50 or more, you receive free shipping. Our good friends at InStockTrades.com Okay, enough of me selling. Time for talking. Let's uh, catch up with Ted Adams, and uh, like I said, man, when I saw this guy at a uh, Diamond Retailer Summit, uh, really going over the numbers, uh, it really just impressed the hell out of me, and uh, I've been an IDW fan ever since, so it's a, a real pleasure to talk to the publisher of IDW now on Word Balloon. Very excited to welcome Ted Adams, the CEO of IDW Publishing and uh, the CEO of IDW Media Holdings to Word Balloon. Welcome, Ted. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. Long time coming. I- I've been a big fan, and congratulations. I know this month IDW celebrated an anniversary, right?
1: Yeah, we've been in business 17 years, so it's uh, <laughs> hard to believe it's flown by. So it started in 1999. Crazy.
0: I know, I know some of the first uh, things that I was aware of that IDW was doing was, uh, and I'm, I'm going to probably get it wrong, but I remember 30 Days of Night and Metal Gear Solid. And I know that was probably a couple of years into your guys' incarnation, right?
1: Yeah. In fact, when we started in 1999, we weren't publishing then. We were actually uh, what's called a creative service company. So we were doing art and graphic design for entertainment companies, and we did that for a couple of years. We were doing a lot of work for Upper Deck back then. They had a division, Upper Deck Entertainment, that had uh, was just getting into the trading card game space. And in one of my previous jobs, I used to work for Jim Lee at Wildstorm. And one of the things I did at Wildstorm was oversee his trading card division. And we had a card game called Wildstorms. So, so I had I, so I had experience doing collectible card games, and and we were doing uh, card games for Upper Deck. We did a game. Based off the TV show uh, Survivor, we did a um, uh, card game on the uh, Lego toys, Bionicle. So that was kind of our that was kind of our gig for a while. I had come from publishing. I started working for Eclipse Comics back in 1990. Uh, I worked there for a couple of years, and then I worked for Dark Horse for a couple of years and then went back to graduate school and got an MBA uh, with the intention of not getting back into publishing. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, my, uh, uh, I got introduced to John e. and Jim Lee at Wildstorm, and, and I really loved the city of San Diego. And, and so I decided to, to take the leap and go uh, work for them, and that was really a fun experience. And then I went to work for Todd McFarlane. For a couple of years, and then, uh, as I said, started IDW with some friends in 1999. So we started publishing probably in 2001, 2002, something like that. And you're right, 30 Days a Night" was our first, uh, our first comic book, and was uh, initially not all that successful as a comic. But we this is back a long time ago, before Hollywood was optioning every movie uh, or every comic book under the sun, and we got an option for. Thirty Days of Night with Sam Raimi, who was extremely hot at the time because of the first Spider-Man movie, and that really became uh, a big calling card for us. So when the collected edition of Thirty Days of Night came out, it was the number one selling graphic novel of the month, and you know we were we, we had maybe published a grand total of eight things at that point. So to have the have the number one book for the month was a, a pretty astonishing feat, and uh, and it really you know really set us on the path uh, to to where we are today. Unbelievable.
0: Steve Niles and Ben Templesmith. That book was, you know, yeah. just revelatory. And I mean really congratulations on on you know that's that's what the ambition is. It always seemed like back then, uh, covering, you know, comics and everything was for the smaller publishers to get, you know, a big deal like that, which obviously then would, would mean, I'm assuming, you know, resources to obviously expand and do more.
1: Yeah, we were you know we were unique because we had our core business that really was funding publishing. So, getting the, the the money you know the option money on a on a deal like that even and we had a pretty good deal, but it wasn't all that substantial in the form of being able to fund a publishing company. Okay, we really funded it from our creative service business. So, it was doing you know those collectible card games for Upper Deck. We did. Um, we were very early in the creative development of a company called WizKids, Kids, and they had a property, Mage Knight. It was the first collectible miniature game that had a dial on the bottom where you could use that to keep score. Sure, and that uh, we did all the all the character design for the first year or two of that. We actually designed the logo for both WizKids Kids and Mage Knight. Um, so we were, you know, we were pretty actively involved in the gaming community. We also did a lot of strategy guides back then. So we were doing. And again, this is you know a million years ago, so it was back in the days when <laughs> when you know you'd need a strategy guide to use to learn how to play the games because the internet wasn't <laughs> as set up the way it is today. You know, you wouldn't just now. I assume kids just watch YouTube videos to see how to how to get uh, through the through the levels. But back in those days, strategy guides were a big business, and we uh, we had a deal with Brady Games where we did maps for uh, just a number of their games, all their Nintendo. Um, uh, the I forget the system, but whatever the Nintendo system that was out back then, we did all the strategy guides for that. So, so it was really that side of the business that really funded publishing uh, for a number of years. And then probably in around 2004, 2005, when we picked up the Transformers license, that was when the company really shifted from being a creative service business into a publishing business. And then when you fast forward to today, to 2016, we're, you know, we're 99% of publishing business and 1% of creative service business.
0: <laughs> Tell me about uh, going after licenses versus uh, homegrown, you know, ideas and, and, and that philosophy.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, it, we, in the early days of IDW, and I think even to a large extent still today, we, we we were doing things that were of interest to us. So Steve Niles was an old friend of mine uh, all the way back to Eclipse, and um, Ashwood, who did the covers for 30 Days of Night, was a, was a friend of mine um, who's become one of my best friends over the last 17 years, but... Um, you know, really, it was, it was trying to find things that were of interest to us. And so when we did 30 Days of Night, I thought, well, maybe, you know, nobody's really done comics based off TV shows for a long time. Maybe there's an opportunity there. I really like the TV show CSI. And mm-hmm. so something that, you know, I just I thought it was a fun show. And I had a relationship with CBS because, uh, as I mentioned before, I had designed the Survivor trading card game. So, you know, I knew the licensing people there. And, and I went to them and said, hey, you know, what do you think about doing a comic? on CSI, you know, I said, I know it's a little, <laughs> it's a little out there, but, uh, you know, what do you think? And, uh, they just loved it. So we, you know, we got the rights and then, uh, we hired Max Allen Collins, who's just a terrific mystery writer. So we hired him to do, uh, the stories and they were all new stories. So they were new CSI cases. And then, uh, Gabe Rodriguez, uh, was the regular artist on those books, and Gabe uh, has worked his entire career for IDW, uh, most uh, most famously on Lock and Key, uh, mm-hmm. but he's done you know he's done a number of projects for us, uh, probably a dozen projects for us over the seventeen years or fifteen years, um, and then on CSI, what we did with it was fun. So we had Max Allen Collins writing it, and then CSI, the TV show, they the, the premise always was is that they would shoot. Um, the, the, uh, the live stuff where they were investigating the cases one way and then they would flash back as they were doing the forensic stuff and shoot it in this kind of through a filter that looked kind of different Yep. so we had Ash Wood who was doing the filtered versions of the <laughs> forensic portion so Gabe Rodriguez did the regular stuff and then Ash Wood did the forensic stuff um, so yeah, so the comics, you know, I, I, I thought they turned out pretty nice, and ended up just selling extremely well. I mean, they were they were out of the gate, um, very commercially successful for us, and that kind of set the direction. So we, uh, you know, we kind of we we really look at even what we do today, all these many years later. You know, in large measure, it's it's creator-owned comics, and then licensed comics is kind of the core of our publishing, and then we stack on top of that. Things like Library of American Comics, where Dee Mullaney collects classic American comic strips. Oh, yeah. We have Yo, um, Yo Books, where, um, Craig Yo and his wife Clezia go through and they do, um, these really cool, um, looks, you know, deep looks at comic books and comic book creators. Everything from Popeye to, um, Walt <laughs> Kelly, uh, which Craig just got a nomination, an Eisner nomination for. Yep. Um, so we have those books, and then we also have some prose books that we do. And then, of course, we now own Top Shelves. So we have their line of books as well. Absolutely. Congratulations. We also have our, uh, yeah. our artist edition line where we, uh, we were the pioneers for that format. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have a format called the Microcomic Fun Pack <laughs> where we do comics that are a little bit bigger than a trading card size. And they come packed like a trading card, so they're in a pack. And they come with things like tattoos and sticker sheets and posters <laughs> And the reason we do that is is that those comics are sold at mass in the trading card section. So if you go to Target or Toys R Us, you'll find our our fun packs in that section. So, um, but really, the history, the roots of the company go back all the way to Thirty Days of Night and CSI. Create your own book and license book.
0: I loved uh, the CSI books, and in fact, it was one of the reasons why, as a reader, I came back to comics because they look so modern and different, and it was just. Wow, I don't remember comics looking like this, and yeah. also having a writer like Max Collins. I, I know I'm a, I'm a big fan of his comic books and his novels, uh, so uh, that was that was quite a quite a grab as well. I'm, I am curious about these micro
1: comics. How are they doing? They do great. Uh, you know, they uh, we launched them. I guess it's probably going on a couple of years now. Our first one was a My Little Pony mm-hmm. um, uh, fun pack, and then since then we've done them for uh, Turtles movie, Transformers movie. <laughs> We've done the Avengers, and uh, we're in market right now with Star Wars. And uh, uh, through last holiday season, we did uh, Star Wars, um, what I think of as the first Star Wars movie, which uh, anybody who's not as old as me thinks is the fourth Star Wars movie, which is the <laughs> new Hope. Um, so we did uh, fun packs for that that did really well for us. Cool. And then we're just about to ship uh, fun packs based on Empire Strikes Back. So uh, it's a really, yeah, it's a really, you know, for us... We just uh, one of the things that I'm passionate about is introducing new readers to comics, and so the fun packs really help us accomplish that goal because they're they're just getting into the hands of kids who don't see comics otherwise because they're sure. right in that impulse section where the kids are buying, and so um, we we do particularly well during the holiday season because they're such a natural stocking stuffer. Um, and then uh, Easter is another big, uh, another big holiday for us that we do well with. So the fun packs have been great, and we're going to continue to do. It's not the kind of thing that you can do a new one every month, but we do. Um, you know, like I said, we do we ramp up for the holidays sure. and really try to target uh, um, the kids' properties. So we're doing another pony fun pack. I think here in uh, for summer we'll have a new uh, a new pony fun pack out, which would be nice.
0: Excellent. I want to ask about the ponies because my God. That whole phenomenon is a conversation in itself, but I am interested. When you say Avengers, you mean Marvel's Avengers?
1: Yeah, yeah, we love okay. Marvel's Avengers. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. It's interesting because it really seems like those and the artist editions you guys do those uh, those comic book histories and comic strip histories that there are all these other uh, license holders that you would think they would generate their own product. You know, I mean, God, you're doing these artist editions for DC stuff, Marvel stuff. And uh, and, you know, it's surprising they don't do it. And you guys, I mean, don't get me wrong. You guys are doing an amazing job. My God, those things are just incredible. And also, it is so funny in the face of digital and the fear that digital comics brought that you guys really totally went 180 and were coming up with ideas for products that were print products. And just, right. you know, amazing. I mean, just, you know, my my friend uh, Jason Wood, uh, another podcaster, he calls a lot of your books uh, shelf porn because it looks so good on a bookshelf. Right. And I agree with yeah. that. I mean, just gorgeous books. I have the Kniff uh, big uh, oversized book and I've got uh, the uh, Noel Sickles. uh Is it uh, Scorchy uh, Smith? Collection, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the and the Superman comic strips and Secret Agent Corrigan. So I got a lot of your shelf porn on my uh, bookshelf. Absolutely, uh, thank man.
1: you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, my uh, one of one of my favorites that we're doing right now is we're collecting the Spider Man comic strip. Wow! Uh, in you know in the in the way that uh, Library of American Comics does strips, and so it's yeah, I, I'd love. I just you know publishing Spider Man is first of all awesome, but you know, I love that uh, material and because it's uh, it's Ramita senior art, so it's yes. really you know it's it's great stuff. It's written by Stanley, so those strips uh, I just love those strips. And I remember so, when know, they. I, I appreciate that you know it's like we um one of the things that we decided when we first started the company is that we were going to compete on uh in we were going to do a few things. We we weren't going to do superheroes because Marvel and DC do that. we sure. were not going to create a superhero universe that you know that 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 they do. That they do it better than anybody else. Um, so what we thought we could do is really compete on uh, print quality. So doing print production in a way that publishers, at least comic book publishers, weren't doing back then. So things like foil emboss and, and you know stuff that's become more common today because we've been doing it and people have started to follow us but really putting attention on paper stock we print our books in asia because the printing in asia is better our comics are in large measure all printed in asia and all of that is because we felt like we the way we could stand out and compete is by making sure that our books felt better looked better and you know just like you said i, I like the idea of shelf porn and that's kind of <laughs> what we were that's kind of what we were calling for so it's nice to hear
0: it's honestly, it's amazing, and does it surprise you that you know i mean were you were you surprised that Marvel and d c weren't Thinking along those lines in terms of that kind of format to to I mean you know DC and it's, has its absolute edition and Marvel puts yeah. out its omnibuses and and all I, I don't know what the plural omnibuy but you know it's yeah. it, it's it's really no as you say because beyond beyond the yeah, content itself you know, the, um, it's yeah, everything they do, you, you know, it.
1: they certainly do a, yeah I I love Marvel's um, Marvel Masterworks for example sure. I um, I'm, I think I'm one of the few people who I collect. Marvel, the Marvel Masterworks are available in a limited edition where they've numbered them sequentially from one, and they just came out with number two hundred and thirty-one. Crazy! And so I've been I've been collecting those for I don't know how long, probably twenty years, I guess. Okay. And I don't have them all because I did miss I did miss a few uh, along the way, and they do become 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 prohibitively expensive I when bet. you miss them. But yeah, uh, I probably have out of the, the out of the two hundred and thirty-one that have come out, I probably have. Probably at least 210, so I, you know, I might may see maybe, maybe 20 of them. So, you know, so they do a great job in that format. I think with the artist editions, why they go to us and why DC goes to us and some other folks is, is that, you know, honestly those books are hard to make. They're, um, and they're hard to make for a number of reasons. You, you have to track down the original art and so that, that alone is an enormous challenge and Scott Doonbeer, the editor who came up with the line, He was a a comic book art dealer before he was a comic book editor. Okay. So he has relationships with not just the people who are actively selling art, but he knows all the collectors who have purchased art over the years. So when you're talking about doing one of these books, say like a, you know, a Bermuda Spider-Man book or, um, you know, Marvel covers book, he's sourcing original art from a number of dealers and collectors and so that's just a really complex and time-consuming process he or um one of the other folks at IDW actually pretty regularly flies to people with a scanner <laughs> and goes and scans art at their you know their house or at a hotel wow um so it's it's com- it's a really complex product to make from the editorial side and then the printing side is also complex so it's not you know they're not easy books to get manufactured and so i think that for you know for marvel and dc they know that we do it we do it well um and i think that that's probably what drives them to to give us those rights uh it also you know we we have long-term relationships with um you know pretty much everybody in the industry I've, i've been doing this for 27 years so there's not not too many senior people that i don't that I don't know, sure. um, at least to say hi to, and many of who are are good friends. Like I said, I worked for Jim Lee uh, at uh, Wildstorm before before uh, he sold to DC. So you know, I know Jim very well. Um, I know um, you know Dan Buckley and and uh, David Gabriel at Marvel, and so you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's I think it's it's a combination of. They know we're going to do it. It's easier for them to let us do it and just cash checks from us. And unfortunately, the books have done well, so those checks are are usually uh, have a, have the appropriate number of zeros to keep them happy. And and so I think it's that. And then and then also, you know, they they have personal relationships with me and Scott Dunbeer and Greg Goldstein and some of the other folks that are that are here at IDW.
0: I, I'm looking forward to uh, Al Williamson's uh, Empire
1: Strikes Back. Me too. I actually am hoping it's funny you say because we I, I'm hoping we're gonna get our advanced copy of that book this week. So oh, wow. the best part of being the CEO and publisher is I get the books anywhere between six to eight weeks before they you know, before they're in store. So I'm fingers crossed that that one's gonna, gonna cross my desk this week. So I'm anxious to see that one and then the other one that's uh, imminent. Well there's two more that are imminent that that I'm anxious to see. One is uh, Kirby's Thor. So yeah. We're doing uh, Marvel, Marvel Kirby for the first time. We've done some Kirby with DC, some of his New God stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we did uh, Mr. Miracle as well, which was kind of part of that New Gods line. And uh, and But this will be our first Marvel uh, Kirby with the Thor books, so that's going to be amazing. And then we're doing a DC uh, Best of the War comics artist edition, wow. which includes Alex Toth and Joe Kubert and and Robert Kaniger stories. and So that's... Uh, That's also one that that one's a little further out. I think it's probably I think we're we're going to press on that one here in the next week or two. So that one probably I'll see an advance copy a couple of weeks after that. But that's that's a book that I'm really anxious to see. So I I love those old war stories. And and Toth is a is a huge favorite of mine. Dean Mullaney, through Library of American Comics, did his Toth biography in three volumes that we Mm -hmm. published. And um, uh, those books are uh, some of my favorite things that we've published.
0: I know it's always on my list to get Dean in for an interview, and I'm gonna have to talk to uh, Steve Scott and make sure that I arrange that. Oh, you
1: should, yeah, Dean. I, Dean, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he he knows uh, the, the the history of Amer- the American comic strip inside and out. He would be, he's definitely an interesting guy to talk to. He knows the stories of all those classic creators, and and uh, I mean, he's just an amazing resource. And you know, the, the for me, it's been nice. We started. I worked for Dean at Eclipse. Uh, it was my first job in comics, and so. I worked for him back in 1990. Wow. And then he and I kind of lost touch. And I I went to a, there was an art exhibit up in LA for comic strips. And I went up there and I was just blown away. I had always grown up loving comic strips. And I had Bill Blackbeard's um, Smithsonian history of comic strips when I was a kid. And, you know, it's one of those books that I had that's just tattered. The spine is all bent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause I, I just read it. I just read that book over and over and over. And so when I went up and and went to this art exhibit, it kind of rekindled my love for comic strips, and I started thinking about it. And Fantagraphics at the time had just started doing um, uh, Peanuts, and it was doing well for them. And so I thought, you know, maybe I'll see if I can get the rights to Dick Tracy and, and do the same thing for Dick Tracy like Fantagraphics is doing for Peanuts so we did i got the rights and then we were a very small company and so i actually was doing myself the retouching in photoshop on the comic strips wow. and so i was going in like on the weekends, i would go in and try and fix the strips and so we published a couple of books and they were you know they're <laughs> they, they look like a guy who shouldn't be doing photoshop doing them but um <laughs> but uh it, it caused dean Melaney, who i kind of lost touch with he he reached to me and he said hey i saw you're doing um Dick Tracy I really I really want to get back into the business and I've always wanted to do a line that reprints classic American comic strips. What do you think about me taking over Dick Tracy? And I was like, "Oh, thank God. Like somebody like somebody who <laughs> knows what they're doing to come in here and and do this, you know, do this right." And so he he started with the third volume of Dick Tracy. And, uh, you know, he fixed, he made it, he just made it better in every way. He, he made the books bigger and he did the, he did the retouching much better than I could do. Um, he did the editorial material better. I mean, just, he just made the books better. And then that's what led to the creation of Library of American Comics and the, you know, 125 books that we've done together since then. Everything from Little Orphan Annie to Bloom County to, like I mentioned, Spider-Man. We're doing a bunch of Disney strips right now, including Donald Duck. Uh, we've done all of Tearing the Pirates Rip Kirby mm-hmm. uh, I mean you know the list goes on and on it's really really truly uh, some of the you know not some of it's really the best uh, American comics uh, American comic strips of all time so it's really that. that to me if there's one part of the sort of legacy of IDW that's a that's really important to me, and, and it's important to Dean as well, because he and I both want, you know, we, we both want to have those books be available for future generations. So, Absolutely. You know, for the, for the kid that's, you know, 10 today, like I was 10 back then with Bill Blackbeard's book, that, you know, they have this amazing resource where if they fall in love with the medium, they can, you know, they can really learn a lot about it.
0: Agreed. And, and that's the thing. And not only kids, but adults as well. Chris Somney, yeah. I know, pours over those uh Rip Kirby's and some of those yeah. other great books. I mean, because they are, they're just incredible. And just the format and, and how these guys, you know, Kniff was able to, with Steve Canyon and Terry and the Pirates, just tell these great stories within, yeah. you know, 12 weeks or whatever. And, you know, seven days a week, you know, not only the Sunday strip, but obviously the daily strip as well. And it's just gorgeous art and great storytelling. You no, know, there's a lot to learn from that stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, thank
1: you for doing yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Dean, um, you know, I'm thinking about Dean. Just did uh, we just did a book with him? Uh, it was about the hundredth anniversary of the uh, of King Features, which is one of the major American comic strip syndicates. Mm-hmm. And, that book is kind of a modern version of the of the bill Blackbeard Smithsonian book and and but you know focusing just on the king on the king strips. but yeah, I mean it really the the resource and, and the storytelling and the craft from all of those guys and you know almost almost exclusively was guys back then. there were very few. Um, female creators there were a couple True. but not uh, not all that many it really was just it's a it, it, you know the craftsmanship is just extraordinary and, and in the in the 30s and 40s they were like rock stars you know they were the they were the, the you know they were the superstars of the world so it's it's amazing how things have changed and certainly the comic strip in today's newspaper bears very little resemblance to the classic strips of, of, you know, the 30s, 40s and 50s. No question.
0: It's a dinosaur. I'm amazed that this yeah. the, about this, you know, the strips that survive, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and God, I mean, I, I have, you know, friends like uh, Gary Gianni, who was doing the Prince Valiant strip drawing it. And, uh, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, where where can you see that? And he's like, well, yeah. you know, a few. Yeah. There's a few places, and yeah, I mean, literally, it was kind of almost like, yeah, not as many as they used to be, unfortunately. So, yeah. no, thank you for really keeping that stuff alive. Well, let's, um, let's.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's you know, those are the like I said, those are some of the books that I'm the most proud to be associated with, and to have been fortunate enough to publish, and and um, you know, I do I do take pride that I I kicked it off with my uh, <laughs> my poorly done uh, Dick Tracy volumes <laughs> one and two. I was actually looking. I have all the. I have them in the office, but then I have a library at home where I have all my um, my library of American comics. Books set up, and oh my I was looking at the Dick Tracy's because the first two are also the trim size is smaller because mm-hmm. I did them smaller, and then Dean, you know, Dean did it at the right size. Starting with three, I was thinking, you know, we got to go back. Well, we're almost, we're actually, believe it or not, going to reach the end of the Gould strips here in the next couple of years, which is amazing. <laughs> but That's they're, they're great. Published the guy, it's a it's a lifetime's work for him, and we're going to have completely republished the entire thing. Uh, once we're done, I think I'm going to go back and convince Dean to redo one and two so they match. Wow. The, you know, what the rest of the series became. So um so we'll see. So yeah, my, he, uh, because Gold
0: because <laughs> Gould did the, did the strip until the seventies, the am I right? I mean I, Dick, yeah, Dick yeah, Locher I, I know it, was we're the right
1: now at fifty nine, the latest volume, if I remember correctly, is fifty nine and sixty. So we're okay. you know, we and we do three typically do about three volumes a year, so we're probably, you know, a couple of three years away from from uh, having them all. You know, Holy cow which is hard for me to believe.
0: Yeah, man, and also the commitment because I know that's a concern as well for a lot of collectors that, you know, these these series start kind of ambitiously and then they... You know, they don't finish because of a lack of interest. And, I mean, I, we understand from a publishing yeah. standpoint. I mean, it's it's well, kind of tough. I get
1: hit by a, listen, unless I get hit by a truck between now and then, we're going to publish all of Dick Tracy. All right, so, that sounds cool. And I can assure you nobody's getting rich from it. <laughs> but <laughs> we're going we're gonna to publish all of Dick Tracy. So, cool. yes, I uh, there's uh, <laughs> there, one of the things that... Um, you know, we we do lots of things that are are very commercially successful for us so we're we you know we're a very profitable business and have have been fortunate to do quite well over the 17 years and so there are a handful of projects that, that we're going to do <laughs> and and whether they make money or not so and Dickercy is one of those so.
0: that's awesome well let's let's talk about some recent uh more recent successes also the uh Winona Herb TV series that's that's terrific i'm happy as hell for uh, Bo smith He's uh yeah, he's a hell yeah. of a hell of a comic book creator and uh, uh the show has turned out quite nicely on Sci Fi Channel and uh yeah, Thanks, in your first yeah. month. Absolutely, man. No, that's a great great combination of uh horror and western and supernatural. I mean that's that's good stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, we were really shooting for this show which which worked out. Emily Andrus, who's the showrunner, and um and our our cast led by Melanie, who plays Winona. Uh, is just, it's just—it's just really a good sense of fun. It really has kind of that feel of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where <laughs> you know they're doing—you know—they're fighting all these goofy bad guys, and it's—it's it's pretty serious as far as you know the—the the threat is serious, but the interplay between the characters and the one-liners that uh, that, that uh, Melanie has as Winona are just—you know—I think they really resonate and they really work. So. Winona was uh, was a long time coming for us. It was a show that had been um, had been in development for for some time, and even before that, Bo and I had been trying to set it up in various places. We'd uh, we worked quite a long time on getting it set up as a video game, and that didn't work. And then at one point, we had it set up as a as a movie with Jessica Simpson, and that um, that fizzled out. And so it's nice to see it. You know, it's nice to see it actually coming to fruition, and it's actually part of our division, IDW Entertainment. Which focuses on the production uh, of TV shows. Why known is a little different because it's a it's a Canadian production. So the um, uh, the producers of the show Seven Twenty Four are based in Calgary. So they're the producers of the show, and then IDW Entertainment is the worldwide distributor of the show, okay. except for in Canada, and and uh, Seven Twenty Four has the distribution rights in Canada. So so we're actually the worldwide distributor. So we sold the U.S. rights to. Sci-fi, and uh, as you said, it's on uh, on Friday nights at ten o'clock, and uh, also available on iTunes. So anybody who's missed any, you can you can catch up on iTunes. And, uh, I have... and we're in the pro- we're in the process of selling the show around the rest of the world. So I just came back from a trade show in uh, Cannes, and uh, where we started, we are meeting with buyers, and so we're you know we literally just selling the show, um, selling the show around the world.
0: I happened to hear on another interview you did that uh, when people go to purchase episodes on iTunes. Uh, there's they they're directed to the comic as well.
1: Yeah, it's one of the nice things since we're that since we control the distribution, we're able to connect those dots in a way that uh, often doesn't happen. So yeah, there's the 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 iBookstore version of the comics mm-hmm. and the trades. It is a essentially like a owned Herb Store within within iTunes. So. Uh, which is great, and they've been they've been really good partners. They had it as a featured uh, featured episode uh, through the weekend, so it's really been really been nice to see the support from them.
0: I mentioned before we started recording, I saw you at uh, one of the Diamond Retailer Summits in Chicago, and you happened at the time to talk about digital comics, and we're talking about the the success that uh, specifically Transformers and, and Star Trek. We're having for you digitally, yeah. and I'm interested in what you know. Since then, that was about five years ago, I think. Uh, what, do you, mm-hmm. what what do you think? Uh, what do you think digital comics are right now in the in the comics market?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So if you think you know, you made me you made me think about that. So five years ago, uh, retailers were furious about digital comics. Oh yeah. and had been asked by um, I mean, not just I mean they were livid about it. And yeah. So Diamond asked me to be the keynote speaker at their retailer summit on the topic of digital comics. I thought, oh, great, I'm going to get like, I'm going to get Rotten Tomatoes stone to me. I was so nervous before that speech. I do I, you know, my job. I do a fair amount of public speaking, so I'm not, I can't, I'm not saying it's my favorite thing, but I, I'm not typically all that nervous. But on that particular one, I was so nervous. I was up there before the room filled, mm-hmm. and I stepped off the back of the stage and fell off the back of the stage because I just lost track of like where the stage was. Oh, my so, God, I forgot I that. Yes. So, I mean, you cannot overstate how angry retailers were about ebooks Absolutely. five years ago. Yeah. They were beside themselves angry. <laughs> so and I went up there and I said, Listen, here's what I think is going to happen. I think that that what's going to happen with eBooks is, is that it's going to bring new readers into comic book stores. It's going to reinvigorate people who stopped reading comics, people who fell out of the hobby, uh, they're going to discover them again on their phones and tablets. And what what makes us different from other forms of media is is that there's a collectible nature to comics and people want that physical artifact, the shelf porn that you were describing. People want <laughs> to own that, they want to own the product, and so you know. So I made that argument, and, and um, I didn't get any rotten tomatoes thrown at me, thankfully. <laughs> and uh, I think it went over, you know, about as, as well as uh, that sort of a thing could back then. But you know, as you, as you fast forward to today, I've been proven to be right, which is that you know, e-books had this. Sort of stratosophic, stratosophic rise, you know. Like if you look at the the curve, it's that hockey stick curve of just going. You know, the, the revenue just shot to the moon, but then it, it did plateau. So you had this just a phenomenal growth from ebook revenue, and at the same time, comic stores saw growth of the physical product. So, you know, those two things happened at the same time. The, the e-books were, you know, the hockey stick and the, and the comic store, the physical product was a more normal growth pattern, but there was growth happening. And I don't think there's any question that at this point people recognize that e-books brought people back to comics and introduced comics to people who wouldn't have read them otherwise. So um, as far as where it's going in the future, you know, there's it's, it's clearly headed towards more of a subscription model, more of a Netflix model. You know, there's um, Scribd has that, uh, and we're part of Scribd, so you mm-hmm. can you know you can subscribe to Scribd and and consume some of our content that way. So I think Marvel's had their subscription model for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 kind of Netflix subscription model is is where we're going to go. I do think that there's a, an opportunity for a bigger viewing of comics, and we're part of Made Fire. And Madefire is actually uh, available on Apple TV. So you can mm-hmm. download the Madefire app and read comics on your TV. And, it, and at first blush, you, you think, oh, well, that's not going to be, that's going to look terrible. But I would encourage anybody who has an Apple TV, if you haven't, download the Madefire app and check out, in particular, our My Little Pony comics on your TV, and they will blow you away. The, the, because the comics are all colored on computers. They're all done at this crazy high resolution, that, you know that even the best printers can't match. Understood. And so, when you watch, when you look at our My Little Pony comics on Apple TV, it's just a phenomenal reading experience. And then, uh, madefire has put in some sound effects and things around it, and they've really, you know, they've really structured it in a fun way so that the, the so that the fades and the slides and things really work. So. Um, so I do think that there's that audience. While it's not there yet, um, I do think that that audience is going to grow, and that's going to be a potential way to reach new, you know, new readers uh, again. So um, that's that's going to be a big thing. I also think that we will will eventually see comics available on the the game platforms, uh, you know. So for mm-hmm. Xbox One and PlayStation, um, and you know, I'm hopeful that that'll happen this year because again, it, the reading experience on TV is is an interesting one. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I think that in you know, I think we've we've sort of seen, like I said, the plateau of of the crazy growth that happened through, particularly through uh, iTunes and through iOS. Um, so, I'm not sure that that you know that was not a sustainable growth pattern, but it's become a nice, very nice, solid business for all of us that publish comics. I think now it's going to be looking at new things, subscriptions, TVs, and then whatever other new devices, virtual reality as a whole you know, the Oculus Rift and all these new yeah. uh, devices, that's a whole new opportunity uh, to interact with comics in a different way as well. So, you know, IDW will always be at the forefront of that. We're, we're very quick to adopt uh, new technology and new platforms and, and beyond as many devices as we possibly can.
0: What about uh, the comic magazine? Because I think that is another end of the spectrum where I think there is concern because as you say, you know, uh, uh, you had those models. And in fact, I'm, you know, joining up with Scribd, I think is smart. And there is that next Netflix model of binge watching binge reading certainly helps. And, you know, this is where comic books and TV, you know, they, they have problems. And it's a conversation I've had with Joe Casada before where he's like, well, you know, each issue is just like an episode. And I'm like, not really, because you have to wait 30 days for a new episode. And that's that's a long time. So, uh, yeah. you know, what do you what do you think of the the future of the comic magazine?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm I'm all in on print. So sure. I'm, uh, even though I've been, uh, you know, I've been I was uh, the spokesperson for for digital comics for for a couple of years at least. Um, I'm a print guy. You know, I think sure. you know, as we talked about, you know, you can see it in our books. So I'm I'm a I'm a believer in print. I, I, uh, I, I consume via print. So I, I very rarely read uh, digitally unless I'm on a plane or, you know, someplace like that. Uh-huh. Um, I prefer to, I prefer books and, and the physical um, books. So I think, you know, like I said, I think comics are unique because people, there is that collectible nature to them. And so I think people want to have that physical product. Um, and so, you know, I think that as long as we, as long as we're as an industry continuing to regularly produce, Interesting content that'll work, and I, I hear what you're saying about it. it's a 30-day wait for the next issue. But if we're all doing our jobs right, it's that weekly Wednesday rush that you get by going to the comic store and seeing what's out this week. That sure. you may not, you know, you may not get an Avengers every week, but you get, you know, you get an Avengers one week and in Captain America the next, mm-hmm. and you know, whatever, you know, week after week after week. And it's as long as we continue to to have good stories and make good comics, then I, you know, I think that the direct market um, will will continue to prosper. And, you know, there's always, it's always a little bit cyclical, you know, the publishing has to reinvent itself over and over and over. And you've seen that pretty relentlessly in the last couple of years through the two major publishers where they're, you know, they are having to reinvent themselves on an annual basis. And that's, you know, it's tough. I think it's probably got to be tough on them editorially and, and probably tough on the consumer as well to keep track of what's going on at any given time. But, uh, you know, I think I think in large measure, the success of comic stores is new readers through uh, through media attention. All the blockbuster movies and TV show are are trickling at least some new readers. I think e-books are bringing in new readers, as I mentioned. And I think, in large measure, the the stories are good. Certainly, Marvel uh, with the relaunch of Star Wars was um, you know just. Mm-hmm. Crazy successful, and, and and the rest of us can kind of ride the coattails of that success. And so, as long as as long as we're all really focused on making sure that we make good content, I think that that uh, that the print will be fine.
0: How do you think you're doing in the creator owned market? Because as you say, there's there's a lot of great licensed books that you guys have. And I do know that you do go after uh, the occasional creator owned. I'm certainly uh, Bo Smith and uh, yeah. Winona Earp is a, is a clear example of that. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's competitive out there. And what, what benefits are there for a, a creator owned book to go to IDW versus going on their own, doing image, some of the other opportunities that are out there?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think that our roots, as I said, are, are in creator-owned comics all the way back to 30 Days of Night, and we've done, you know, hundreds, many hundreds of creator-owned titles over the years, um, Lock and Key probably being the best-known best of those. But, uh, but you know, there's lots of other ones along the way. Zombies vs. Robots with Ashwood uh, has been a long-running comic for us that's done done extremely well. Ben Templesmith did Wormwood for us uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, for a long time. Uh, Walt Simonson's been doing Ragnarok with IDW yes. for the last couple of years, so those are all... You know, just a handful of examples. On a going-forward basis, we do have some really good books that are coming out uh, here in the, in, in the relatively near future. We um, we have a book with William Gibson, who's the, um, the novelist, who's just sure. an amazing writer. We have a book with him called Archangel that's drawn by Butch Geis. Wow. And I just read the I just read the advanced copy of that a couple of weeks ago, and it just, I, I just, I, it, it's a great comic. So I didn't, I, I'm not, I can say that, because I don't, I, I'm the publisher, but I wasn't involved in, in That's the, fantastic. The, in the editorial side of it. So, you know, I I came to it as a reader, you know, reading my advanced copy, and it just, you know, just blew me away. It's a really good comic. Uh, we have another one called Satellite Falling, which is by um, Steve Horton and Steve Thompson, which is also just um, a comic that just blew me away. It's a, it's a, um, science fiction book that takes place on another planet with all these um, crazy aliens, and there's a bounty hunter who can change your shape, and it just—it's a really, really good book. Uh, so I'm pretty—I'm pretty excited about both of those uh, that are coming out uh, here. You know, like I said, in the next—I think—in the next couple of weeks, uh, must be because I had the advanced copies. So
0: okay, <laughs> um, so
1: I'm pretty excited about those books, and then—and then, uh, then Winona Earp, of course, is ongoing with Bo. We've also been doing a book with Steve Niles. It's pretty long-running uh, called October Faction, and uh, that's a book that uh, has, has gotten a lot of attention. It got a, a, a kid's, um, I think it was like a youth graphic novel award here a couple of weeks ago, which was very well-deserved. Oh, cool. So um, so that one, if you haven't checked out October Faction, is one that's really, you know, really done uh, nicely for us. Um, we've also been reprinting Sam Keats' The Max for the last couple of years. Outstanding. Um, doing that with new coloring, so yeah. So I mean, we're always in the you know we're always in the creator-owned game, and and um, we're not going to do uh, you know it's not gonna, it's there's always going to be that balance at IDW between creator-owned and licensed books, mm-hmm. and I think that that's kind of what the market expects from us. And then, like I said, we stack on all the other the other lines next to it. Um, I mean, if you think about uh, Top Shelf as an example, which is you know is a hundred. Yes, talk about that, please. Yes. Yeah. So we have uh, the new uh, volume of March, March Book 3, which is the autobiography of Congressman John Lewis. Yes. Uh, and, he, and he writes those with Andrew Aydin, and they're illustrated by Nate Powell. Uh, you know, just unbelievably powerful works and, and that are extremely successful. Uh, the congressman is out on a very regular basis getting major media press for those books and, and speaking about the books, so they do extremely well. And that, uh, like I said, the third volume comes out this summer. It's scheduled to come out in July. So that's a book that I'm very anxious to read and and looking forward to. So uh, we're also uh, have been doing some new editions of Eddie Campbell's work. So we're have been reprinting his uh, Bacchus comics and Mm -hmm. really nice hardcovers. We did Alec, uh, his Alec comics, and a really nice hardcover. And then we're doing a slipcover set that those will all go into. So. Um, Those are books uh, that I'm I'm anxious uh, anxious to reread myself. So, and Bacchus really hasn't been collected in the way that we're doing it. So, it's it's really you know really is the opportunity for people to see to see those comics that probably uh, for a lot of people they didn't get a chance to see them before.
0: Why did Top Shelf make sense for IDW?
1: Well, I think mostly because we you know we really admired their publishing schedule, and you know their the books that they make are just beautiful but yes the, indeed you know chris starros is an, is a, is a you know just a great publisher, Chris Ross, who's been a designer for a long time is just an amazing designer and then Lee Walton, who does their their marketing and p r uh, is just you know he's he's terrific and did an amazing job with the March books so <laughs> Chris approached us because he was kind of looking for for a way to to change things with how he was working and it really just Mm -hmm. fit in nicely with us while we have a lot of different things that we do we weren't really you know I kind of look at Top Shelf as kind of a literary graphic novel publisher and we weren't really we've we've done some things like that over the years but we never really have had a focus on it and so it's been nice to to be able to do that And, and you know from their perspective it allowed them to become capitalized in a way where they could um, not have to spend so much time worrying about the back office parts of publishing so they don't have to worry about royalties and, and you know making sure that they're going to have money to pay the printing bills and those kinds of things. Sure. So that's, that's, the, that's the stuff that we do. Uh,
0: BEA is coming up, the Book Expo America, and it's coming to Chicago, and I know you're coming yeah. uh, uh, for that, and I would imagine that, that Top Shelf uh, figures into uh, whatever uh, presentations. You know, What do you guys do? I don't even know what, uh, other than obviously having a booth and being available, uh, yeah, for,
1: you know, for stores. Yeah, so B. A. Is, B a is kind of a weird animal. It's you know, it, it's um, it's a leftover from the old days of publishing, where you know, where people were. Writing orders, and you know thats that sort of thing that doesn't exist in today's world, where everything of course is done you know electronically but uh, it's it's like any kind of a trade show it's just a chance for people to get together and catch up and we will have our our sales rep there, so she'll be meeting with buyers from you know all the major all the major places that you would expect, and she'll be meeting with independent bookstores and libraries and so there will be there will be some selling there, not not writing orders but you know giving information on upcoming sure. upcoming products. We do have a couple of um, things that we're doing uh, galleys, essentially little advanced copies for. We're going to have Berkeley Breathed there, and he'll be signing advanced copies of the upcoming Bloom County book that we're doing. Terrific. Uh, Berkeley brought, yeah, he brought back Bloom County uh, last year via Facebook. So we're going <laughs> to be collecting all those strips later this year, and, and he'll be there to sign uh, to sign the galleys for, uh, for uh, book buyers and librarians. So we'll have that there. We're also going to have an advanced copy of our new book, Who Killed Kurt Cobain, which is a book that we'll be publishing later this year uh, that I'm pretty excited about. And so that we'll have copies of that for buyers to be able to pick up and check out. We'll certainly have our catalog there um, so they'll be able to check out that. And, you know, it's a chance, like I said, it's kind of a chance just to shake hands. And then BEA now also has a consumer-facing show called BookCon on Saturday. And so that's actually open to the public. And so that'll be much more of a just a traditional kind of consumer show. Where we'll be—I'm not sure if we're selling books. I guess we probably are. Um, but we'll at a minimum we'll be there meeting with fans and and uh, you know talking about the books and showing people books. So I love it because you know I'm a book guy. So for me, you know, I love I love catching up with people and doing the business side of it. But I I like also wandering the room and picking up advance copies and discovering books that I wouldn't have otherwise. And so I always come home with a. With a suitcase full of books from BEA, <laughs> so it's, it's e- easily my favorite show of the year. There's not even a close second for me.
0: That's great. You know, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to see if I can wrangle a pass for uh, the Saturday show because my day job's gonna keep me from going during the week. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's it sounds yeah, it's great. Funny.
1: I haven't actually been to the the the, the, the consumer parts book con, mm-hmm. and they started it. I think I want to say like two three years ago they started it, and I typically have uh, in the past I've always left before sure. BookCon has started. Um, but this year, I think I'm going to hang out uh, oh, great. on Saturdays to see it. In, so.
0: Okay. Well, regardless, I hope to yeah. see you in San Diego. I'll certainly be there. So, uh, oh, yeah. For definitely. Comic-Con. Yeah, no,
1: of course, yeah. That's our in our backyard. So well, we Absolutely. have our San Diego Comic Art Gallery here. I was going to ask. Um, go on, our, please. Our headquarters. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so if you come out, definitely check that out. It's curated by Kevin Eastman. So, um, so that's pretty awesome. And Kevin's doing a, an amazing job. It has... Uh, of course, a lot of his early art from the creation of the turtles, and then Kevin has a replica studio in the gallery, and it's literally filled from floor to ceiling with everything turtles that you can imagine, plus all the things that influenced Kevin throughout his lifetime. It is it is a collector's paradise, and so we have it um, we have it set up so there's windows you can look through, and it's um, it's definitely the showstopper of the gallery. Uh, so we have that, and then we have a kids gallery where kids can come in and we have a lot of My Little Pony art and we have drawing tables set up and uh, there's also a lending library in there for kids. Oh, that's great. Uh, then we have a yeah, we have an adult library so people can come in if they want. People in the community can come in. So again, we have our Library of American Comics and our Yo! books. So all these books about the history of comics, I've donated. I have a pretty close to a complete collection of the Comics Journal. So I've donated oh, that the library and a bunch of other things. So if people want to research comics, it's a, it's a resource for the community. So that's there. And then we also have rotating exhibits that are going on um, at any given time. Right now we have a exhibit uh, around um, Daredevil, which has a bunch of original art from Bill Kevich and Klaus Jansen from the uh, End of Days series that they did with uh, Brian Michael Bendis. So that's up and running right now. We also have a Jack Kirby exhibit that's up around his Lords of Light prints. And,
0: um, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: so I'm going to miss that. If you love comics, it's, I think, at this point, the only comic gallery that's still open in the country. And it's just a chance to come and see how comics are made and get the chance to see original art. And, and uh, you know, if you're there on the right day to meet Kevin Eastman.
0: That's excellent. I remember when it opened last year, uh, right before Comic Con, and uh, yeah, I was uh, I was talking about it with, uh, and now I'm blanking, uh, Chris Ro- Chris Robertson's uh, wife that uh, I know does. Work oh for yeah, you guys. Allison, yeah. Oh, Allison, Allison, Baker, of course, Allison Baker. Yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah, An no, integral it, part of the IDW team. She's, I, um, she is. I, I keep telling people she is. <laughs> she's become my right hand. So oh, she, that's uh, great. She just yeah, she fills in. Right now, she's been working on. For IEW Entertainment, we do um, sort of extra videos for uh, particularly for iTunes. So if you buy a season pass of Winona Earp, you get these extra behind the scene videos for each episode. And Allison's background is actually in. Um, editing and, mm-hmm. and directing. and so she's been cutting all those together for us and just doing a great job. so yeah,
0: I'm not surprised, and uh, i'm I'm well aware of her uh, her background, and yeah, I think that's great and only makes me uh, want to get the bonus stuff when the uh, when the DVD is available for one owner, i'll uh, I'll have to get yeah that.
1: yeah, they're fun. she's really she's really done a nice job with them. She was up in Calgary for quite a while and uh, you know working with the cast and the crew and so I mean, she's uh, yeah, it's been been great. She's been, like I said, she's a, she's an integral part of the team. Whenever there's something... Well, she helped set up all of our new offices and the galleries, so that was her project about a year ago. We have a games division, a board game division, uh, that's uh, really taken off for us, and she helped with the logistics of that because we went from, in the comics business, if you distribute your books through Diamond, um, you really end up having just one customer So because Diamond is exclusively for comics, and then we've chosen to use Diamond for books. So logistics is relatively easy. You know, product comes in from Asia and then goes to Diamond's warehouses. Well, the games business is completely different. There's, I don't even know how many, 20-plus different distributors. And so instead of just shipping product to one place, all of a sudden we're shipping it to, you know, a couple of dozen places. And so she helped set up the logistics for, for all of that when we got the games division up and running. So, yeah, like I said, she's, um, she is a, she's an important part of IDW.
0: That's very cool. I wanted to ask about this uh, Revolution Creative Summit that you had recently. I know there's a big announcement coming in terms of what the Revolution event uh, will be. But uh, what can you tell us about uh, the summit that happened?
1: Well, I can't tell you much about the details because it is still a top secret and we are uh, <laughs> we're embargoed, I think, now until uh, June 2nd as far as when we're going to make the official announcement. Okay. But uh, what I can tell you is that it was the first time that we brought in writers from all over the country. So we had um, five or six writers here. Uh, they were here for a couple of days, and then uh, they worked with our editorial team on brainstorming up. Obviously, we took this idea from what Marvel uh, has been doing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to see if we could what kind of results we could get from putting you know uh, some really good writers in a room together and and uh, seeing what would come out of that and And uh, it turned out great. I mean, it just you know they seen I think they had fun. Um, you know, San Diego and April is never a bad place to be. So, you know, <laughs> true. Particularly if you're coming from uh, from uh, East Coast or the Midwest. So, uh, so I think that you know, I think they enjoy being here. In uh, the, the part of San Diego that we're in is a lot of fun. It's very much like a campus feel. So, um, so hopefully they had a good time. And I know that we're we're really happy with the results of the writers' room. And and uh, so stay tuned to June 2nd, and you'll find out uh, what we're uh, what we're up to.
0: I know the suspects. I've got a list of suspects. I don't know if you'll let me uh, re- reveal them or not. <laughs> Cullen Bunn? Christos Gage, Brandon Eason, Aubrey yeah. Sitterson, and Marguerite Scott, among them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's it. And they were meeting with uh, Chris Ryle, cool, uh, who's our editor in chief and chief creative officer, and then John Barber, who's one of our senior editors, and David Hedgecock, who's our uh, I think his title is managing editor. So. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty heavy, heavy couple of days. I kept poking my head in and or walking by and and uh, checking out what they were up to. So, I think uh, I think we're gonna have some fun comics that come out of that summit.
0: That's excellent. And I know a bunch of your licenses come from Hasbro, and there's been buzz. And I, and Ted, uh, you you can t- uh, confirm or deny. I understand, but I feel compelled to ask the question because I know they're putting together at Hasbro cinematically. Uh, Some of these uh, properties together, we're hearing about uh, GI Joe and mask and uh, ROM and, you know, some of these things. And I can't help but notice that a lot of them are published by IDW. So <laughs>
1: yeah, all I can say about that is I, I read this. I, yeah, all I could is I read the same uh, release that you did, and uh, I thought I thought to myself, Michael Chabon and Brian Vaughn? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so I want to see those movies. So I—that's cool. Know, you know as much as I do. But that's uh, you know I, I read that release and thought, wow, that's uh, that's amazing. I wish it, you know, I wish I could get those guys to write comics for us. So <laughs> I'm a huge I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of both those guys. I, I think I've read. I, I I would be surprised if I haven't read every single thing both of those guys have written. So the fact that they're working on Hasbro on a big, you know, on a big cinematic universe is great. I can't, I can't, I don't know that I'd be hard pressed to find two people who would be better for that job than those two guys. So, um, so kudos, kudos to Hasbro. I wish I could say I had anything to do with it, but I had nothing to do with it. So. <laughs> well, well, tell me about your
0: guys' relationship with Hasbro, because it really seems like your sure. GI Joe books in particular, I have to admit, I, I don't, I don't know. I was too old for Transformers. I was too busy trying to get dates when Transformers were were (laughs) happening. But G.I. Joe, I really have enjoyed, God, all the work that the writers and the artists have been doing. And it really seems like a bit more adult in the presentation than what we were getting in in previous incarnations. So was that something that IDW... You know, kind of suggested to Hasbro uh, when the, when the license yeah, opportunity I mean, we, first came up. We work
1: really closely with them, obviously, and, and we've been in, we've been a, a licensee for ten years, so it's yeah. been a full decade. And uh, Michael Kelly, who runs publishing for Hasbro, um, is just a you know unbelievably smart guy. He's worked in publishing for a long time, so he and he really understands comics. And we've been working with him for a long time, so he you know he really gets it, and he. You know, so he's the he's the voice of publishing at Hasbro and and so when you see us doing things like that he's always integrally involved in, in all the decision making. And I think one of the nice things is is that with the Hasbro relationship is is that we've really come to a point where the books are really good and so if you if you like Transformers you know you're going to love those books the you know the writing that James Roberts does and Mike Reed does and mm-hmm. that John does just really good our Gem and the Holograms comic um, yeah. you know completely different from Transformers but just really good comics the creators on those books are phenomenal um, we got a, a bunch of um, awards at the end of last year from fan, you know the Fan Awards the Comics Alliance does. Um, so Jim did really well there. As you said, GI Joe um, does really well. We've been working with Larry Hama for you know a very long time, and and uh, those books are a lot of fun. The My Little Pony books again completely different audience, <laughs> but um, Bobby Kurnow, who's the editor of those books, has just put together one great creative team after another, and the books are fun. And the My Little Pony books work for a bunch of different audiences. They, you know, little kids just completely, completely love them. I send comics, I send copies to friends of mine who have kids. And, you know, sometimes they curse me because I say, you know, my daughter or my son, they just want me to read that same comic book to them over and over and over and over. So, so I'm always like, all right, I'll send you some more. But, um, you know, so it works for them. It works for the, for the, um, for the people who love the show. So an older audience. So, you know, I think that it's that, it's it, with Hasbro. There's just this this really big level of trust, and so you know, Michael Kelly knows us. He trusts us, and you know, he's been a he's just been a uh, you know a tremendous advocate for us. And and I think that really shows in the quality of the books. And if you look at you know even something like Transformers versus GI Joe that we do with Tom Scioli, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that's not typically what you would think of as a as a licensed book. It's you know it's got a it, you know it, it very much. feels more like a creator-owned book because Tom has such a unique vision, you know, working with John Barber on it. And and so, but that kind of a book, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't see that from any other licensors, but it's that, that ability and willingness of Michael to take that creative risk, which turns into a comic that's been, you know, very commercially successful for us, but just as importantly, really just become beloved and, you know, very critically acclaimed, and the fans just, you know, the fans can't get enough of it.
0: And congratulations on the Star Trek license, too, because as a longtime Trek fan, it's great to see original stories that are both set not only in the cinematic universe, but... Yeah. I mean, everything that, uh, John Byrne does for you guys. And really, oh, God, thanks. thank, yeah. yeah, thank God that, you know, John Byrne has a place that, uh, welcomes his original ideas as well. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but both his original ideas and his Star Trek stuff has, has really been a joy. And also Mike Johnson and, and the rest of the, uh, the Star Trek team, the the adaptation of Harlan Ellison's original uh, "City on the Edge of Forever" was so beautiful. J.K. Woodward, a great artist that yeah. uh, that always comes to play and and manages to capture the television series, but but still, you know, uh, again with the writing, we get these new original stories. Great stuff, man, on Star Trek.
1: Thanks, yeah, I appreciate it. I actually bought a pa- I bought a page of uh, J.K.'s art from that uh, hanging outside my office. So I, uh, I'm a I'm an enormous Harlan Ellison fan, so I, uh, I've. I have been fortunate to publish him a couple of times. We did uh, Phoenix Without Ashes uh, oh, wow. with him and then, and then, uh, and then, of course, The City on the Edge of Forever. So, uh, I've gotten to know Harlan just a little bit over the last couple of years and, and um, I, he was a guy that I grew up reading and he really influenced the way I see the world. You know, he, it was Harlan Ells and Hunter Thompson were kind of the writers that uh, <laughs> kind of opened my eyes on how to look at the world in a different way. Very, very different, obviously very different um, writers and, you know, very different way of looking at the world. But, uh, you know that kind of questioning authority, and
0: yeah, two and, uh, rebels though. Not you know, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, no, I you know I I, <laughs> I like the rebels. So yeah, so being able to publish Harlan has been uh, been a joy, and then, of course I published Hunter Thompson um, last year. We did an adaptation of Fear and Loathing in yeah. Las Vegas by Troy <laughs> Little, and uh, so I, I'm publishing all my heroes eventually. So.
0: That's cool. Is is art from uh, Fear and Loathing? Is it at the gallery?
1: It is, yeah. We have an exhibit for that as well, and uh, I also bought some art from that from my personal collections. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are a couple of my passion projects. I have, and As we're speaking, I have a John Byrne. Uh, John Byrne did a Popeye cover for us, and oh, that's uh, I have that original art in my office as well. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I love. I mean, I you know, I grew up I grew up in the uh, um, '70s and '80s, and so John Byrne was for me was the artist. You know, back in those days when he sure. when, when he was doing the X Men with Chris Claremont, those were those were kind of the sweet spot for me of comics. The whole Dark Phoenix and that whole run was really what uh, what kept me into comics for for a long time. So to be John's publisher um, is great. I have to say, I, I don't have a whole lot to do with John or really nothing to do with John. He, um, his relationship was with Chris Ryle. Okay. And you know, they just, they just, uh, have a, you know, just a, a great relationship. And I'm just very proud to be publishing anything that John wants to do. You know, he, he knows he has a, a home here for as long as he wants it.
0: Another great passion project that you guys put out is um, Darwin Cook's uh, adaptations yeah. of the Parker yeah. novels. And I, Wait, you know, are are we getting more? Is is are more coming?
1: I hope so. Yeah, you know, we uh, we're certainly here to publish them. You know, when uh, when Darwin wants to do them, we have the rights to do some more. So uh, fingers crossed, we'll see some more there. I uh, and I agree with you. I, you know, I love those books. I uh, that was another author that I read. You know, Don Westlake. Yeah, uh, writing is Richard Stark and 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 um, creating that character. I just I love those books. And so Scott Dunbeer, when he first came to work for IDW, he had uh, been Darwin's editor. On I think on the spirit and some other things at DC, and so we went up to LA to meet with Darwin because he he had something he wanted to pitch us, and when he said, "Oh, I want to do adaptations of the Parker novels." I about fell over. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I, I <laughs> yes, let's do that." That's great. So uh, so we went and got the rights, and then Darwin you know Darwin did what Darwin does, which is make nearly perfect comic books and. uh and you know they they're they're amazing. I, mean, I they're, those are books that I you know I adore. So,
0: as a as a fellow f- as a fellow fan, then maybe you agree. Isn't it a shame when they try to uh, modernize Parker? Or, uh, Paul, yeah, I yeah you know? I don't
1: think it works at all. I, yeah, no, it, exactly. I mean, if you're going to do things like that, you've got to do it. Period. It only works. Yeah. Period. Um, no question. You know they're doing a TV show um, uh, on Parker, and I'm not sure oh, if boy. it's period or not. And uh, but if it's not, I agree with you. I, I just it, there are certain characters that just don't work when you yeah. bring them in. You know, when you bring them to modern times. It's just he's such a product of his time, and you know, it just it just it, it doesn't work. It, that whole um, you know that sexist sort of yes mindset, yeah. and it's just it's just part of what those books are. And you know nobody's saying that that's that that's the way the world should be. Of course be, not. It should, no, no. You know they are they are a product of their time. Exactly. And, you know, it's, and so it's just uh, there's a character Travis McGee uh, by John McDonald. John McDonald certainly. Um, yeah. And so I you know I love those books as well. And I've tried to chase down those rights for. Oh you know, wow. And, Oh my you know, God, that'd be they're, great! They're, <laughs> I, yeah, <they're>, I, <laughs> I've been <laughs> unsuccessful in in uh, getting them, but that's another one where you know you have to do it. Period. You, you yes. just can't. You know, you can't bring Travis McGee into <laughs> modern times. It just doesn't work. So, um, so. But yeah, I, I, I definitely I love those books. Um, I saw the Library of America is doing uh, Ross McDonald now uh, in in their books. So the Lou Archer like books. Four. Yeah, the Lou Archer books are doing like three or four. Um, or volume, which is uh, you know, it's pretty amazing to think that you know he'll be published alongside all the other great American authors. Um,
0: that's really cool. All right, final word on P- Parker uh, Point Blank, the uh, Lee Marvin movie. You like it? Oh yeah. Oh no, I like I like all that right. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. How, yeah. How about how about you? Oh,
0: absolutely, man. No, that's yeah. the only that's that's the only decent movie version. And yeah. obviously, yeah. Uh, well, to be
1: honest with you, I never even saw the the um, Payback or. Uh, the transporter Yeah, Jason guy. Statham.
0: Uh, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah he did one a couple it. years ago, unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I didn't see I could tell from the trailer that it wasn't Parker. So I, I felt like, the I, same I, way. Was, yeah, yep. yeah so I never saw that one. All right, we'll the Mel Gibson one. You know, I, at the Mel Gibson one, I, you know, it... it, it it's not Parker. I don't think it's it's not a terribly bad thriller. Payback, yes. Parker.
0: I agree with you. No, and it, I know and it's so funny because the Parker fans are like, well, Payback is okay, but it's it's just not Parker. And you know, if right. people who see it first are like, oh, it's such a great movie, and have you seen the director's cut? And it's like, yes, and yes, but it's not Parker. Yeah. and Trust us, and that's why. Right. No, you hand him Darwin Cook, and it's like, no, this is Parker. So there, you know, yeah,
1: a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, Darwin. You know, like I said, he, I don't think Darwin's capable of doing anything that's not. A perfect comic i i just got a copy of the dc book that's you know the sort of the retrospective of his career and it's got a bunch of stories a bunch of them that i hadn't seen and you know they're just one brilliant story after another in every kind of genre you can imagine yes so, yeah. you know he's, i mean i there's i'm pretty sure there's nothing that darwin can't do perfectly so I, I, I've, I've never seen him i, I honestly don't you know, he's not publishing much with this, so I'm not. I'm not like <laughs> I'm not trying to to, uh, to ego stroke but I, as far as i can tell, there's nothing he can't do. I don't know that I've ever seen something from him that just didn't look perfect.
0: Agreed. No, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now I know we left a bunch of people on the corner when you mentioned the the Who Killed Kurt Cobain graphic novel, and we're coming back right. to it because I wanted to mention it if we can, because I know we're slightly over an hour. Are we okay for
1: time? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine I, you know, as long as um, as long as we haven't uh, bored everyone to tears. By
0: now. oh no 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 no, this is you know no they want to hear all this stuff. So yeah, tell, right. me, tell yeah. me about yeah.
1: So, the, the, yeah, so the, the Who Killed Kurt Cobain is a book. Um, it's basically it. it uh, uh, Kurt kept uh, a diary, and he had a magic, imaginary character called Buddha. And so this this story is it's fiction, but it takes place through the perspective of Buddha, his imaginary character, and it kind of looks at Kurt's life. And essentially, you know how he ended up killing himself. So, it, but the art on it is just unbelievably beautiful. And so, I, you know, it's just a book that I think people are really going to like. It's really interesting. It's it's dark, of course. You know, what I mean, he, you know, Kurt's sure. life was a dark life, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't pull any punches in how he lived his life or or how his life ended. But uh, you know, Nirvana, you know, certainly is a is a band that influenced. You know, everybody, I think so. Um, you know, I think that looking at it, looking at his life through this lens is pretty interesting. Just in the same way that the, the montage of Heck, the documentary that came out a year ago or two years ago, was you know really interesting to look at. So I just think there's a lot of. Uh, he's a guy that deserves uh, attention, and that it, it, you know it's worth it's worth looking at, at uh, how he you know, how he became the genius he was, and and uh, you know what what led him to to end his life in the way that he did.
0: Another uh, book that uh, I think rock fans would be interested in is the uh, Pearl Jam
1: book, Do the Evolution? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I I worked for Todd McFarlane um, a million years ago, and when I was working for him, uh, Terry Fitzgerald, who ran his entertainment company, Terry and I worked in L.A. Uh, Todd was based in, and still is based in Arizona, and they were working on this music video, and Terry... I was a huge rock fan, and I mean, I think kind of like Nirvana, everybody's a Pearl Jam fan to one extent or another probably, but um, Terry was really a big Pearl Jam uh, fan, got to meet the band, and and this video uh, came about from that. Uh, Joe Pearson, who was the producer of the video, and um, is the guy who's actually uh, spearheading the book. And so he was the, you know, he was integral in bringing on Kevin Altieri, who was the director and working with Todd. And so Joe is, Joe's putting the book together and it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. We're hoping to be able to have involvement from everybody. Um, Certainly Terry's going to be involved. As I said, Joe's, Joe's running the book, just like he did the video. Um, Kevin Altieri, I think is on board to to um, be involved in it, and hopefully Todd will as well. So, but the art's beautiful. Um, if you haven't seen the video, it's worth checking out. It's it's um, it's, a, it's it really holds up uh, today. It's a great song, and and the video really holds up. So, it's kind of an unusual one for me because it really goes back to my past in a in a in an interesting way that, I, that you know I never would have expected that we would do an art book around it. But um, uh, it's pretty cool. And my my business partner Robbie Robbins is a giant Eddie Vedder fan, so he's. Um, I'm very passionate about working on this one, so it's, you know, this is going to be should be something pretty special.
0: Very cool, man. Uh, any uh, plans for? Uh, I'm trying to think of shows between now and uh, San Diego. Like you said, you're going to be at Book, Book Expo. Um, are there any other IDW? I know because hey, I know too. IDW is I very so, conservative yeah. about what shows you guys show up at too.
1: Yeah, we do the big ones. We do uh, WonderCon, Emerald City, mm-hmm. San Diego, New York, and then we we've done, you know, we have done some of the smaller cons uh here and there. Uh, we did we did quite a few cons last year. It's it's really disruptive to the day-to-day business. Sure. You know, we you know, we're in the business of making comics. Yeah. So having people on the road and setting up at shows is really disruptive. Uh, but we you know, we do we do a, a fair number of shows. We also do a lot of Trade shows, of course. There's licensing show and, mm-hmm. and book expo, like we talked about. There's also brand-specific shows. So there's a BotCon show for Transformers that we're at. There's a JoeCon <laughs> that we go to. There's um, Star Trek yeah. convention that we'll be at this year. So those are, you know, not necessarily comic conventions, but they are. You know, they're they're very similar. Sure. Um, so we, you know, we do those, and I feel like there's a, there's probably three or four other shows in there that I've that I've forgotten about. But um, we we probably average. On a for consumer shows, probably somewhere between eight to ten a year, something like that. The big ones being, like I said, being WonderCon, Emerald City, San Diego, and New York.
0: Do you feel like, uh, as we wrap up, do you feel like uh, we are you are uh, achieving getting new readers and, and that you're bringing people into comic books? Because, as you say, I mean, you've got these licensed properties, and you do show yeah. up at their shows and stuff. So, do you feel like uh, those kinds of initiatives, the micro comics and things like that, do you think we, you are converting uh, people to be new readers of comics?
1: Yeah, I, I know we are, um, because I hear it from retailers, from direct market retailers cool. who are, you know, they're the they're the face of the industry for all of us. And so I do go to, I still go to the summits, the retailer summits that Diamond puts on and the comics for a summit. So you know, I know we are, you know, that's uh, there's no question that uh, the content, My Little Pony in particular, you know, since, since Pony has become successful and kids' comics are all the rage right now, you know, if you go back and you look at when we when we first started publishing My Little Pony, Kids' comics were not all that popular, right? And you know, most people didn't think that, <laughs> that you know people were wondering what we were doing. And uh, and the book, of course, became just a phenomenon and wildly successful for us. It was uh, the first issue, I think, was was a million copy seller for yes. us through its various formats. And so I mean, it's you know, it's, so yes, we there's no question that we brought we have brought new readers into comic stores. If you go into comic stores and you see the kids sections that exist today. You know, and you talk to the retailers. Much of that, or in most cases, that's on the back of My Little Pony. No I, pun intended.
0: I understand. So. <laughs> I remember Katie Cook uh, talking about how well the first issue uh, sold. That she was at one convention, and she's like, "I kicked the X Men's ass," being the uh, yeah. Yeah. being the writer yeah, exactly. of, of yeah. My Little Pony. <laughs> yeah, so, and I was very yeah, proud of her. Cool. Absolutely, no, that's yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Ted, seriously, I really appreciate you talking and uh, and thank you. I, I think uh, we all appreciated the look uh, behind the scenes at IDW and uh, keep up the good work uh, from the shelf porn to the uh, micro comics, big and small. You know, <laughs> no, I mean,
1: thanks, Sean, I, I, yeah, this has been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate uh, appreciate speaking to somebody who knows our line so well. So it's been uh, been a real pleasure. It's-
0: Really great conversation with Ted Adams from IDW. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Steve Scott, for uh, arranging this and making it happen. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll likely talk to more IDW people in the near future because they got a lot going on over there. I know Bo Smith uh, is somebody I want to talk to. The Star Trek guys, it being the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, it's kind of a no-brainer to uh, check in with them. Just some of the excellent work that IDW is currently doing, and it was great to have it rolled out by the publisher himself, Ted Adams. That'll do it for this episode of Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, John Sutter's reminding you that uh, May has just begun, less than five days into May, and already we've got uh, two episodes out. And uh, more is coming, because uh, there's a lot of people that uh, really wanted to talk. And uh, I'm happy to accommodate, but uh, life sometimes gets in the way. But as Kari Andrews taught us, that means that you've just got to try even harder to do the things that you really want to do. Word Balloon was brought to you by InStockTrades and InStockTrades.com. Uh, be sure to check out some of the amazing deals that are happening now on things like the Gotham Central Omnibus. Man, it is long overdue, but Ed Brubaker, Greg Rucca, Michael Lark, Uh, Just excellent art, beautiful stories, um, possibly the portional inspiration of Gotham. I can't believe it isn't in some way, but really its own thing, as you know. And uh, really, just one of the best series from the first 10 years of the 2000s. 50% off for the Omnibus, just $49.99. You can get Supergirl Adventures in the 8th Grade, the trade paperback from Landry Quinn and Eric Jones, uh, really great stuff. 50% off, $6.49. You can get Avengers, Iron Man, the trade paperback of Forceworks from uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, and uh, great art from Tom Tenney. Uh, but uh, an excellent run. It is 45% off, just $23.19. You can get this damn band, Paul Cornell. Tremendous series from Dark Horse. Paul Cornell and Tony Parker, really great stuff. Uh, 42% off, just $10.43. There's also Ray, the uh, Deluxe Edition Hardcover Volume 1 from Valiant. Uh, People like Clayton uh, Crane, easy for you to say. Clayton Crane and Matt Kent, uh, tremendous Volume 1. Uh, the hardcover is 30% off and just $27.99. Lots of great deals happening at instocktrades.com. Check them out for yourself. And again, some of that IVW product that we talked about. I'm sure you're going to find amazing deals. Instocktrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, League, for your support. Uh, if you enjoy Word Balloon and you want to subscribe to Word Balloon and help the cause, just come to my page, wordballoon.com. Check out the Patreon edge there on the front page and it'll explain what I'm trying to do and how you can help. If you can spare a dollar a month, that's terrific. Uh, I always say this, and I mean it. The best way to help me out with Word Balloon is let people that you think might like the show, let them know that it exists. There's interesting conversation here, and uh, they might enjoy listening to it, too. Until next time, uh, follow me on Twitter, at John Word Balloon. Under Facebook, under my name, John Sutras, you can email me, john at wordballoon.com. And I will do my best to answer your questions and requests as best as I can. It's a busy May, and uh, the hits just keep on coming. So uh, keep looking at this space for uh, future notice. And don't forget, you can find Word Balloon at Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. I'm trying to get onto Google Play. I'm having trouble with an image because I'm kind of a knucklehead. But uh, uh, there's lots of places. And, of course, on iTunes and uh, WordBalloon.com. We've got a log of well over 600 uh, episodes and a lot of these episodes are multi-hour episodes, so there's a lot of good listening to be had if you just go back uh, to uh, that first month. Uh, well, actually, this was a year into WordBalloon uh, when I started WordBalloon.com, in it's a blogger iteration. So um, the, the site and actually Word Balloon go back to uh, May of 2005. In fact, May 10th. Um, I'll do my best to have an interview and an episode up on, uh, on May 10th. It might be tough. It's going to be a, a tough weekend, weekend coming up. But if not, certainly at the beginning of next week, a brand new episode of Word Balloon to keep the hits up. Just keep coming. So uh, thanks for listening. Stick around. More fun stuff coming, specifically this month. Lots of really neat people that I'm looking forward to talking with and having you listen in. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2016.